Welcome to the Top Order podcast. We are here tonight to talk this week in cricket. Reeling from the late pullout of one of our Top Order, uh, Raj Reddy, not with us on the show tonight. Um, but it's Lippy, Baldy and Binksy here. We're going to talk White Ferns team to tour the UK, Australia, Bangladesh, the 100, a new segment called Media Watch, which we'll tell you about in the course of the evening. And we'll talk England, India, test match that's just gone on at Trent Bridge. Stay tuned. So we'll have a quick whip around the world of cricket. First thing on the agenda, Lippy, White Ferns team to tour the UK. No Amelia Kerr um, in there and a busy little period of time coming up for, well, for all international sports teams, but particularly the White Ferns. Hi, everyone. Stu here, just jumping in, recording from my car on, on Tuesday evening, New Zealand time, just to basically say that on Monday night, we recorded our podcast, including a, a a very interesting chat, pondering what decisions New Zealand cricket might make about the upcoming men's tours. Then we woke up Tuesday morning to see that the plan was already in place and squads had been announced. And I guess as interesting as our chat was, it didn't seem to make much sense to release that to you when so much knowledge and was already available. And that's why you're going to hear me just for the next few minutes, kind of running through all that what's happened. I won't really deep dive too deeply into the analysis because... There's 32 players named and, and three squads, and it'll be a lot more interesting to discuss them next time the four of us are all together. But just to quickly run through you, the squads for you. So the Black Caps squads for the ICC T20 World Cup and, and the India T20s that will follow that have been named. And uh, in somewhat of a batting order, we've got Martin Guptill, Tim Seifert, Devin Conway, Kane Williamson, Glenn Phillips, Jimmy Nisha, Mark Chapman, Mitchell Santner, Lockie Ferguson, Ish Sodi, Trent Bolt. And then I've got uh, Todd Astle, Kyle Jameson, Tim Southey, Daryl Mitchell as sort of the four on the bench. Uh, and then Adam Milne has been selected as the 16th man, but can only be called on to replace a player in the event of an injury. And I guess for that squad, there's the uh, the standard coaching staff will be there. So Gary Stead, Shane Jurgensen, and Luke Ronke with a fourth coach to be announced. I mean, there's obviously a lot of options in that squad. I mean, even just thinking about uh, the makeup of the bowling attack and, and how many spinners and seam options they want to go with. I mean, I've nailed, named Kyle Jameson and Tim Southey potentially on the bench there, but, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if one of them slots in in place of Mark Chapman and they go with more bowling or we see Devin Conway take the gloves and Tim Seifert drop out to get another seamer involved. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of things to go on. Unsurprisingly, it looks like conditions have played a big part in selection. Uh, we see the inclusion of Todd Astle and, and Mark Chapman over other players that have been in and around the T20 side, like Will Young and Phil Allen, Doug Bracewell, Hamish Bennett, and so on, or, or maybe even just picking Adam Milne outright rather than as injury cover, since he's been so so very impressive in the in the first in the BBL and, and now in the hundred. I think another notable for me is is Daryl Mitchell's selection over Colin de Gronholm uh, in the all rounder battle. They've they've sort of been having that battle for the last twelve months or so, and. It looks like Daryl has, has been given the nod there for the T20 World Cup and, and maybe going forward in the, the white ball format. So we'll, we'll see how that develops. But um, I guess it also means, you know, other other names, someone like Colin Monroe, who potentially uh, was available and hasn't really been in the side for, for a while. Uh, it looks like his days are, are potentially numbered. As for the other two squads that have been named for the tours to Bangladesh and Pakistan that'll happen before the T20 World Cup, it's very clear that there's a desire to manage the workloads and and player welfare 
I mean, in fact, that's exactly what New Zealand Cricket has said in their media release. And, I mean, I guess this might sound a bit hypocritical given our criticisms of some of the recent Australian selections, but I'm actually really excited to see how these two squads go. They're, they're basically New Zealand A-sides in the white ball formats due to the sheer amount of cricket, really. The Bangladesh T20 start on the 1st of September. They're followed closely by the Pakistan tour, which then takes us right through to the, the end of that month. There's the IPL restart in mid-September. The T20 World Cup starts in mid-October. And then it's all of that's followed by two T20s and two tests against India in uh, in December and or in, in November and December. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot going on. And I think in an ideal world, these tours might have been used as, as shootouts for the final few spots in that T20 World Cup squad. But I think that was just never going to be the case in this current environment with quarantines and I think the difference with what New Zealand has done and, and our comments about Australia is that it feels like the Black Caps are fairly confident about at least their top 11 to, to 13 T20 players with obviously a few decisions to be made around the fringes to find a best 11 in different conditions. But the opportunity to give a few more players some experience at the top level makes sense to me. Um, I mean, maybe I'm just a bit biased Black Caps fan all that aside, obviously we'll discuss all of this in a, in a bit more depth, but the squads again for, for those two so, uh, tours organised into kind of batters and bowlers again. So for the Bangladesh T20s and, and Pakistan ODIs, we see Finn Allen, Rachin Ravindra, Will Young, Tom Latham, Henry Nichols, Tom Blundell, Colin de Gronholm, newbie Colm, uh, Cole McConchie. Uh, we've got Doug Bracewell, Scott Kugeline, Hamish Bennett, Jacob Duffy, Ajaz Patel, Blair Tickner, and then we see Matt Henry come in just for the ODIs, and, and Ben Sears, another newbie, coming in just for the T20s. And, and you, you see some newbies in the coaching staff as well, so the main coaches won't be going on those tours. Glenn Pocknell from Wellington is joining the squad, Graham Aldridge from ND, and, and we see Tillan Samarawera, who's worked with the Black Caps before on the last tour to Sri Lanka. He's being pulled in for some expert knowledge as well. Once we get to the squad for the Pakistan T20s, it starts to integrate some of the T20 World Cup squad. So we see Martin Guptill, Finn Allen, Will Young, Tom Latham again, who's captain. Uh, didn't mention that before, but he's captain of both these two squads that happened before the T20 World Cup. Uh, then we've got Mark Chapman, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Blundell, Colin Gronholm, Todd Astle, Matt Henry, Ish Sodi, Ajaz Patel, Hamish Bennett, Ben Sears again, and Blair Tickner. And Shane Jurgensen joins that coaching staff uh, with the other three new guys. So it's a lot to take in. And, and like I said, we'll we'll chat about it a bit more in depth in our, our next conversation. But a quick shout out to the potential debutants. We've got Ben Sears, a, a fast bowler from Wellington with some serious pace. And Canterbury captain and off-spinning all-rounder Cole McConchie. I mean, anyone knows who knows me will know that I'm pretty excited to see Cole in the squad as a, another Rickett and Cricket Club member. So... Yeah, pretty pretty pumped about that one uh, and hope he goes really well. We're also potentially going to see Ratchan Ravindra, who's just been on the test tour to England and might now get his chance with the bat and the ball. And as I mentioned, those provincial coaches, uh, Glenn Pocknell and, and Graham Aldridge, much like they did with Heinrich Milan during the England tour, are going to get some experience at the international level. And I think that's a really positive thing. It seems to be working really well that they're bringing players or coaches into the fold and I guess preparing them for the next level as much as they're trying to do that with players. A notable absence in those squads is Ross Taylor who was selected for the three ODIs against Pakistan but just given the fact that they happen in, in such a short space of time and the quarantine requirements 
Sounds like it was decided that he's best just to stay and prepare for those India tests. Him and, and Neil Wagner being the only two players from the, the 20 contracted cricketers not to feature somewhere in those squads. I think there's, you know, we'll run through some of the, the unlucky players and you might have some in your mind. Colin Monroe is one that people might have expected to see, especially when you're, you're getting to that level of, uh, you know, those essentially a, a New Zealand A tour. But yeah, it looks like uh, he was only available perhaps for the T20 World Cup. He's playing in the CPL and, and obviously got to think about his career as well. So yeah, it looks like potentially his international days are over. And I mean, purely off the top of my head, people like Hamish Rutherford, George Worker, Cam Fletcher, Michael Rippon, who I think is down to eligibility uh, and not quite earned the, the New Zealand stripes just yet. And, and Nathan Smith and Michael Ray are a few names that have come to mind that have been involved in New Zealand A cricket and, and don't quite feature here. Uh, after all of that, uh, just going back to Binksy's original question about the White Ferns, September is going to be a super busy month for New Zealand cricket with the, the White Ferns also touring. For them, they're going to the UK. We've got three T20s and five ODIs right throughout the month, starting on the 2nd of September. They'll be without Amelia Kerr, who's opted out of the tour for personal circumstances and, and to prioritise your mental health. And obviously, we've seen Ben Stokes do the same recently, and a number of instances around the world, and particularly in light of what's just happened here, you know, tragic events in, in the cycling community here in New Zealand, there's really nothing more important than, than mental health, so we fully wish Amelia the best and just hope to see her back in the White Ferns when the time is right and, and her head's where it should be. I mean, in her absence, it shapes as a, a massive tour for Sophie Devine and Susie Bates, who, who returned to the squad, and, and Amy Satherswaite, who was one of the shining lights of the New Zealand home summer. There's potential debuts as well for, for Claudia Green and, and Jess McFadden. And with the World Cup edging closer and closer in, in March 2022, two here in New Zealand every series that the White Ferns play is, is just going to take on more and more importance and it's no secret that New Zealand struggled in recent times against the, the top top women's sides like England and Australia so you know I can't say I've got huge expectations of a series win but I'm really hoping to see a cons- more consistent level of performance I think than than what we saw during the New Zealand summer to to give that squad some confidence that we can match it with those top sides in a, in a one-off scenario like they might face in the World Cup, and, and give England a bit of scare, bit of a scare. And, yeah, I mean, that's just what we want, right? We want an opportunity where we go into a, a one-off game, a semi-final or a quarter-final, and think that New Zealand can pull it off, and, and they haven't really given us that confidence so far. But, look, that's, that's I think that's definitely enough from me, just on my own, without any interruption. So let's get back to the main pod, but glad to have uh, filled you in a little bit more, and, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to discuss this in a bit more depth next week yeah and I, look i guess that segues nicely to australia bangladesh in the context of you know is this australia's second or third team that are struggling a little bit um boarding i don't know whether you want to say what you said off air uh, your your summation of australia's fortunes at the moment i'm just looking around on the roadcaster here to see if i can bring up the comments i made in the last podcast and the podcast before that because it's the same sentiment Uh, this week as it has been for the last two episodes of This Week in Cricket. Australia, pretty average at cricket uh, this month. They were pretty average uh, last month and the month before that against the West Indies, they were reasonably uh, middle of the road to average as well. So, look, no improvement from Australia in this series against Bangladesh. All you have to do is go and have a look at the batting charts and the run scoring and the averages for Australia where you've got... Uh, Marsh at the top and then daylight and then night time and then a couple of days later and then the rest of the batsmen start to appear on that list. So, you know, Dan Christian, 
you know, put his hand up a little bit for that lower middle order spot. It looks like Matthew Wade is starting to shift and shuffle down into that middle order role. He's in a direct fight with Alex Carey, I think, for a spot in that um, in that middle order as a wicketkeeper slash lower order batter. But look, quite frankly, none of the guys on that tour other than Marsh have put their hand up for a World, World Cup spot. Ashton Turner was, was average. Philippe was average, didn't average 10. Wade average, what did he average? Five so far. So there's really no one putting their hand up for Australia at the moment. And we're panicking, I think, a little bit from a selection point of view and hoping that these four big names that are sitting at home on the bench or, or recovering from injury are going to come in and do the business come World Cup time. Because if it doesn't, we are not just maybe not finalists, maybe not semi-finalists. We're not even going to get out of the group stage. Uh, and a, look, a couple of puzzling scorecards for me. I know there isn't coverage, is there, of this in, in Australia? No, the Australian um, captain can't watch his team play. But I, the the game, uh, what, three or four days ago, Bangladesh winning by... 10 runs, Australia chasing 127 for nine from a Bangladesh uh, perspective, finished up 117 for four and lost by 10 runs. I don't know if you... Uh, did you manage to see any of that on any um, illegal streaming sites? Or no, anything like I, 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 haven't, I haven't tuned into any of that, but it's, it seems incredible to me that Australia can be restricting Bangladesh. They're probably... I'm reading into it that they're probably not great batting wickets and, and Bangladesh no. are, are using their spin bowlers incredibly effectively. And it just really highlights, again, how much Australia struggles against even slightly above average spin. It doesn't have to be Ashwin and Jadeja. It just has to be reasonable spin. And Australia look... I don't want to be harsh here, but we look bereft at the moment in terms of our ability to make runs and craft scores that are competitive against, against spin. Bangladesh looked pretty ordinary down here in New Zealand against New Zealand, got taken apart. They're back at home, and yes, they will play better, but I expected more from Australia on this tour. I certainly didn't expect them to be in a 3-1 hole with one to play. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I have managed to, to catch a little bit. I was going to ask you if, if Australia loses and no one sees it, does it did it actually happen? It certainly like, does. Like a, like a tree falling in the woods. But look, you know, I, I've managed to catch a few highlights of this, and, and what's really struck me is... Just the fact that um, of how well Mustafiza Rahman has bowled—it's just he's been fantastic. And if you look at the, you know, you go through and look at the the averages and and particularly the economy rate, mm. he's he's going at about three and a half in Hofer. And you know, you mentioned there that they they're unable to chase down a pretty low score off twenty overs, but he he's just you know on those pitches that we think favour spin, he's managing to mix up his his uh, his different variations and and really doing an outstanding job and, and they are you know I, I think we're probably being a bit harsh here and that we should say Australia should just win because it's Bangladesh and things they're, they're definitely a different side at home and and they deserve to a little bit of credit there but you know I I, I all these frowning at me because I, I think you do have to expect a better oh, performance I'm not than disrespecting this. Bangladesh by saying Australia should beat Bangladesh in Bangladesh Australia should beat Bangladesh yeah they should that flat out they just should beat them um we're just not a very good cricket side at the moment, and that's and that's the reality. I think a full strength Australian side take care of Bangladesh, even in Bangladesh. But at the moment, the guys, unlike New Zealand, who just found players to step up whenever they called on somebody this summer, Australia have tried players, tried heaps of players. Philippe tried Turner, tried Wade, tried Kerry, tried a bunch of players. None of them have stepped up and, and pushed their case for selection. Yeah, and the interesting thing is how chippy that those games have been. I know you said you haven't seen much of the series, but there's been a lot of chirp in, in the highlights. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to get a sense. There's only little 20-minute highlights packages that I've seen and, and found in the, the deep, dark holes of YouTube. But, you know, like 
yeah, there's some real chirp going on, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know what's being said. I mean, Australia perhaps frustrated, frustrated at, at the fact that, yep. that it's not going well, and, and you mentioned it before, Mitchell Marsh has got 152 runs. We're obviously recording this with still a game to go. And I think the next highest was about 49 or something of runs in this series. So guys are just just not performing. I think the one thing I was going to say on a positive note for you, Baldy, Mitch Swepson made his, uh, made his uh, played a game and took three for. That must be exciting for you. I know you've been calling for him to get a shot for a while. Yeah, a fellow Queenslander as well came back from a pretty serious neck injury uh, during the Australian summer. So it's good to see him back playing cricket to start with and also performing well for Australia. I think he's got a really bright future. He's got a unusual run-up to the crease. He's got an unusual approach for a leg spinner, uh, but he, he lets the ball go from good areas. He gives it a rip, and uh, I'm, I'm really pleased for him. Lippy, I'm going to come back to you. You've not been impressed with the 100 this week. Well, it's, it's not that I've not been impressed with it. I, th- I think I'll go back to what we said before. It's cricket, and I like watching cricket, so every time I've been able to see it, I've, I've enjoyed the games. It's just more that um, I think the challenge for the 100 is the fact that there's just other stuff going on and, and so much going on, and I think when you're trying to make your your name as this big marquee tournament, is I was moderately interested in it. I was you know, trying to figure out who was playing in which team and, and all that kind of stuff, and then as soon as the test started, I just watched the test. I didn't watch any, you know, obviously we have the problem here of these games are played in difficult times for us to, to watch perhaps. And, um, you know, I chose to watch the test in, in my evenings instead of watching highlights or full games of, of the 100. But as soon as that test started, I just I just didn't watch the 100 for, for basically this whole week. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think that England and the ECB can actually do about this? I mean, is it going to be like this every year? They're going to be competing against the international game? Well, look, I think they're definitely going to be competing against components of the international game, but it's also the other sports as well. I think if you look at um, England at the moment, um, you've got the Olympics going on, which obviously is the same all around the world. Um, You've got the British and Irish Lions Tour to South Africa's just finished. Um, Football is a year-round sport, really, in in England. You know, if it's not actually being played, we're talking about who's being transferred. I think we saw Jack Grealish go to Man City this week. So the back pages of the newspapers are kind of full of that stuff. So the 100's got to um, really fight for that share of voice in the media. The crowds have seemed to be pretty good. Um, I think um, probably helped by the fact England um, and Wales coming out of lockdown restrictions and the fact that you can get a few pints, um, sing a bit of Sweet Caroline in the stands and, you know, dress up as your favourite um, Only Fools and Horses character or whatever <laughs> have probably helped. Um, the odd stag do, I'm sure, as well. Um, but, yeah, a, a little bit like you, I've had that sort of dilemma of do I watch... Uh, you know, a session of the test match highlights um, or do I watch a, a bit of the 100 and, and absolutely, particularly, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, a, a pretty interesting test match at, uh, at Trent Bridge. So I've um, certainly got my, uh, yeah, my share of viewing. We'll move on to Media Watch. So this is a new uh, segment idea. Baldy, I, I think, um, yeah, really just gives us a chance to shout out some fantastic writing and, and have a chat about it. Yeah, we don't often talk about the, the people who are writing about the game other than obviously the, the best podcast in the world, the Top Water Podcast. But I just wanted to give George DeBell a shout out this week because of the, the rain around and, and you know, the, the overhead conditions in that first test. Friend I, of the show, George DeBell. Friend of the show, George DeBell, has appeared on here as well. I just I, I tuned into the match blog and his writing this week has been off the charts. Like his 
article on the whole English system of cricket is rotten and they're reaping the wins that they sow by prioritising white ball cricket was a, a fantastic read. He covered the issues catching in the slips for England and why that's costing them test matches and and then all, also sort of the dependency that, that the England batting lineup is, is finding on, on Joe Root this week. So I, I just wanted to give a shout-out to DeBell who, who caught my eye this week in terms of uh, his writing on the game. He's in uh, tremendous form this week uh, and if he, he adds to it uh, at the end of this test match... Uh, as I would expect him to. He'll cap off a, a week of strong, strong journalism in, in the world of cricket. Well, and I'm sure we'll dig into some of the topics that he raised in some of that writing as we... I'm sure we uh, will. ...get into this England-India um, series, which will be coming up um, after the break. So stay tuned, listen to The Swish, and then we'll be back to chat more shit about cricket after that. Welcome back to the pod. So my countrymen taking on the Indians uh, Trent Bridge um, this week. Uh, whether the winner of the contest, I suppose we would say. Um, what are your thoughts? Because I, I guess I've you know listened to a lot of media about it. Um, how was it? How was it poised? Virat Kohli said he felt India were going into the final day seventy thirty favourites, and I reckon that's a pretty good comment. Actually, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Mm, Root came out and said he thought that. It- England could take or no create nine opportunities, and he's probably right. Whether or not they could convert all nine into dismissals is probably a question for the for the panel. Stuart, what did you think? You watched most of that Test match instead of the hundred. What were your immediate emotions and reactions? Yeah, I mean it's disappointing, isn't it? I mean when when the game is ruined like that, I, I was thinking that that on that final day we were really poised for for. A, a good finish. I probably do agree with Coley there that that I feel do feel India. You know, with 150 to get, you no know, nine wickets in hand, you would always sort of back them to do that. But definitely, the they they showed some fragility, and they've they've showed a little bit of fragility in their batting for for a little while. You know, actually, if if you go back even to that Australia tour, and you think about the the World Test Championship final, it's it's not like it's just even the the tour England's tour to India. You know, it certainly hasn't been just a run fest for India this this last twelve months or so. So, I do think it's realistic to think that England could have created nine opportunities, and and it's just a shame that we miss out on on a, what could have been a, a great finish. But there's still plenty to talk about. I mean, where do we want to start? Do you do you want to give Joe Root a big shout out? I mean, Binksy just uh, Bully just shouting him out there, and George DeBell has been talking about a lot of people. I think have been talking about. You know just how much Joe Root is now shining because perhaps the, the people around him are, are not shining in it, to put it kindly. Yeah, look, I, I think that's probably doing Joe Root a little bit of a disservice. I think um, um, you're dead right, he's shining. He carried the side in Sri Lanka. He was really the only bright spot in the batting lineup in India as well. Um, and has continued that on with a 60 and 100 in this game. So how long he can carry on doing that. Um, really interesting that he actually brought the pre-match press conference forward by a day. So they normally do the press a day out from the game. He actually asked the media if he could do his press conference two days before the game because he wanted to get a solid day of preparation um, in. And boy, it looked like he, it paid off because, um, yeah, he looked absolutely fantastic. For me, that punch down the ground to get him to his 100 um was absolutely sensational, and the emotion that came out. Yeah, but that- I, I feel like I haven't seen him that kind of emotion, and even the you know the kind of situation, the game they were still behind essentially in the game and to come out and and he was really pumped. Well, I, I think he just knew that he'd given them a sniff with that uh, that innings, mm. and and probably also just a little bit of a come on lads, like I need someone to 
can help me here as well. So look, yeah, there's probably quite a lot of emotion, not to mention all the off-field stuff that he's dealing with at the moment. Um, his great mate Ben Stokes, um, obviously taking some time um, out of the game um, for mental health reasons, as well as a finger injury that he, he wants to recover. But I think let's not uh, sort of make that the reason. It, you know, he's, he's been pretty um, eloquent in what he said about the reason that he's taking some time out, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. So um, a lot going on. Joffre Archer, which who we'll talk about, you know, who's going to be missing, um, as well as, you know, the, all of the selection woes that, you know, England have got as well. So you can understand... Um, why you know why he had that sort of emotional response? And it was it was a bizarre test emotionally for Joe Root because he all of that pressure, that external pressure that was on him, and and, and indeed all the pressure for him to perform because without him, England would have um, been diabolically bad in that in both innings. I mean, only four times in the history of Test cricket has a player made a hundred and fifty in a game and no one else has got above 35, and that was Joe Root's performance in this game. I mean, that's how much better than his teammates he was. The thing for me was the the um, review of Dom Sibley that was overturned and Dom Sibley had a reprieve and he was batting with Joe Root and Joe Root's reaction was to jump and smile and laugh and fist bump and he looked like he was having the best time and he was on, you know, 180 for, for, for none and they were both on 95 each type of thing. You You've know? got to make your own fun when you're batting with Dom Sibley, don't you? Uh, that maybe, <laughs> may, may, maybe that's part of it. I mean, Dom Sibley was, was sort of struggling to hit the ball in, in front of the wicket there for a little <laughs> while, and, and maybe Joe was just sort of trying to inject a little bit of um, um, brevity into the game. But, you know, he, he to me, he was... Have I used the wrong word there? Levity. Levity is what yeah. I'm looking for. Thank you, Adam, uh, for that uh, correction. But yeah, it was just wonderful to see him enjoying his test cricket, or at least yeah. looking like he enjoyed it, because there wasn't a lot of fun to be had out there by the looks. Joe Root, I, it, it, when I actually looked at his record earlier today, I, I was kind of staggered with the fact, as Paul D sort of dies in the corner there, I was sort of staggered to realise that, that his conversion rate is so poor, because, you know, lately this last kind of... 12, 18 months, it feels like he's just piling on the hundreds. He's been piling on, you know, piled on those big scores in Sri Lanka, scored the double hundred in India, scored a hundred now here as well. But, you know, that's 21 test hundreds, 50 fifties. Like what, is there a reason he hasn't been able to kick on and and score these hundreds, you know, in, in years past? Is there something that you've noticed in him now that he's just managing to, to stay and bat longer and pile on the runs? Yeah, look, I always find it a really weird one when you've got a guy who's averaging 50 and he actually probably does it the hard way. He gets 50 almost every time he bats rather than... Um, yeah, yeah well, prob- he's got 50-50s from 100 tests. Yeah. So it's it's very impressive. I'm not, I'm not putting him down in that sense. It's more that, you know, when you see someone who averages 50, yeah. you normally see kind of a, a much closer conversion rate to 50s and 100s. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think criticised a lot early in his career for it. Um, I, I think, obviously, I think as captain... You've seen him really have to take on the mantle, particularly in the last sort of 18 months, um, two years or so. Um, I'd pretty much love 21 test hundreds though. And <laughs> 20, 21 more than I have. I mean, the thing for Joe Root is he's figured out how he can bear the burden of captaincy now, I think. I think yeah. what we're starting to see is he has worked out how he can get the best out of his own performance while captaining the side. And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, a lot of cricketers struggle to captain the side and get the most out of themselves. I'm really pleased that he's managed to do that and now he's starting to see that conversion because for a long time, Joe Root's distinction between him and Coley, Williamson and Smith was the conversion rate conversation and that was the main criticism leveled at Joe Root and his 
association with those other three in, in cricket's big four batters was, well, Joe Root can't convert. Joe Root's not as good because he can't get big hundreds. Well, in the last 18 months, he's completely changed that narrative. Mm. Now it is about Joe Root getting big daddy hundreds for England, and it's fantastic to see. Uh, we better talk about the others then. What you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we we're not necessarily going over new ground. We've we've talked about the fragility of this England side. I mean, Binksy, do you want to jump in here and maybe you know, it, was there any positives? Are, are there? Have we reached the point where something now has to change with with this batting lineup? Well, look, I, I very rarely make notes in the the show notes, as you'll all know, but I've just added a little comment in there um, this evening. We're talking about changing our bowling attack. We're talking about leaving out Stuart Broad. We're talking about whether Jimmy Anderson rests, whether Jack Leach comes back into the reckoning, whether or not if Mark Wood's fit, he plays. Let's put this in context. We've just bowled a great Indian batting lineup out for under 300, and we're talking about whether or not we change the bowlers. Um, and it seems to be the perennial conversation um, that we're having. I wouldn't want to be knocking on the door of any of those bowlers and say, you're going to miss out at Lords where there's a slope and a little bit of nip. So um, let, let's put that to bed for a start. The, the other component that plays into this as well for me is, I don't know the detail of it, but it's really easy to start crying for people's heads. Um, but we are in a COVID protocol time. So it's not as simple as we're going to drop someone and bring someone in. They've got to probably pick from the squad that they've got. And for COVID and concussion substitutes, they probably can't let anyone that they leave out of the side bugger off to go and play a bit of 100 cricket to see if they can get into a bit of nick because they're not going to be able to bring someone in in order to provide enough backup if you've got that sort of concussion or COVID situation going on. The best comment I think I've heard about this is is Dom Sibley. Um, and it's from Michael Vaughan, so that the fact that I agree with it is, um, is rare. Oh, here but, we go. But... He, he made a comment which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And he said, I think we've seen what Sibley can do. Mm. He isn't going to suddenly miraculously find a fifth or a sixth gear and do anything different. And I, I think the fact that he stri his strike rate is so low, it just puts so much pressure on. And if you imagine him, not only even in this next test match, but going out to Australia, he can't hit the ball through the offside. He's only really got the sort of clip when you get a little bit straight to him. The Aussie bowlers are just going to go fifth stump and just bore him. And, uh, you know, then he's not going to hurt them. And then it's down to the guy at the other end. And at the moment, that's only Joe Roos. So they know that they're not going to get hurt massively um, by the rest of this um, batting, uh, batting lineup. I, I think there's got to be changes um, within the squad, but I still think you're going to see those guys with the high vis on mixing the Gatorade. Um, so... If it was me, I think I'd be bringing Hamid in um, to open um, the batting. Um, I think Pope probably comes back into the side for Lawrence. The only question for me is whether they then make um, a another change as well um, and, and leave Crawley out. Just apropos of nothing, Sam Curran looked pretty positive with the bat, batting at eight for England. Ollie Robinson is a reasonable batter. at Well, he batted at eight against yep. New Zealand uh, in his first test and batted at nine in this test. Is Sam Curran good enough to bat at seven, Joss Butler at six, and you take an extra bowler like Wokes to give you a little bit more bowling depth uh, and then go, okay, we're going to drop Lawrence or we're going to drop Crawley. We're going to take six batters and Curran and an extra bowler. Well, I don't think Wokes is fit, so he definitely wouldn't come in. Yeah, um, fair enough. So I think the question is, does Butler bat six and Curran bat seven? Mm. 
in a side that's got bowled out for under 274 times in the last six <laughs> test matches, I, I don't see how they would make that De- decision, decision. Ra- rationally. It would be a little bit of a, we need five bowlers. How do we, you know, how do we get that into the side? Um, I, I'm not sure that that's the, the way that they would go. It, it is an answer to that question. Um, to answer your question in one word, I think Curran could be good enough to bat um, eventually at, at number seven I'm not sure right now without a first class hundred to his name yeah, fair. Um, he'd be yeah he'd be good enough but look a lot of a lot of problems and this isn't about the ashes but what this is about for me is we don't know our best six or seven batters in an era and a time where you've got to have some continuity in your selection from series to series we can't make massive changes it's going to be really difficult and with the lack of first class cricket at your disposal i mean if you have a look i think three of those guys in their england side had not played first class cricket since february and and might not have even played for their counties this summer so you know guys like joss butler having to come into the side you could see he was struggling for touch in the first innings because he just hasn't played enough cricket so the challenge is going to be for england they've got four more test matches before they have to go to australia and play australia in australia just like Australia is struggling to find their combinations, England have to figure out in four test matches or less who's going to be on that plane. Um, and they, and like Australia, I don't think England have got any answers at the moment because those guys that have showed a lot of promise just haven't really stepped up and nailed down their spot. Yeah, well, picking up on that point, and, and I actually don't even think about it from a, you know, going to an Australia sort of point of view, but I you said, you know, you don't know who your, your best six batting lineup is. I think you've realised that some of these guys are not in it. Like, I, I know that you, that means picking guys who haven't had a shot or who have only had a few shots, you know, someone like Hamid who's played a long time ago. Or or, or who have a, a shot like David Milan, for example, has been talked about. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I, I think, you know, as much as Sibley kind of does a job, kind of, that he absorbs the ball and maybe sees off the new ball, which was something that was part of an opener's job, a while ago, it doesn't feel like that's part of an opener's job now in Test cricket. Well, and he gives you a chance to go to the bar and get a <laughs> drink, yeah, pie, whatever you like, yeah. Yeah, but there, there's a few people in that lineup that I just feel like England have they've had enough chances now that I don't think, if you're a selector, that you would look at them and go, I, I don't think they're our top six, and and they're not going to be ever. You know, you mentioned before that Sibley, we know what he is as a cricketer, and and I don't think that him anchoring your side at, opening, at this top of the order is is ever going to be successful. Maybe I, I'll be proved wrong, but I just feel like I know that now. And I kind of look back to a guy like Nick Compton who came into the side and we knew what we were getting with Nick Compton. He wasn't going to come out and smash it all over the place like David Warner, but he actually got a couple of hundreds and looked pretty pre- pretty good and then got the arse pretty unceremoniously. And, and Sibley's coming, he's not... He's nowhere near the player that Compton was and has been given a lot more rope. So it, it just, yeah, it just doesn't quite feel for me. The other thing I think it links to before you come in as well, Baldy, is is the slips fielding. Um, you know, it's been a massive issue for England. I think the amount of chances they missed in that India innings, seven or eight, including the run-out opportunities that they had. Mm. When you haven't got a settled batting lineup, you often don't have a, settle, a settled slipping cool. lineup as well and cordon. And then I think confidence comes into it a hell of a lot as well. The one caveat I would say and the one sort of slightly get out of jail free card, and this is just a hypothesis, if it's that difficult to bat in England against a swinging ball um, and we talk about keepers struggling when it wobbles a little bit, is it a more difficult place to slip catch than other parts of the world as well? I don't know. I think it probably is, yeah. But that's probably the only other mitigating circumstance because I do think that those two things 
um, you know, lead into it. You're confident when you're batting well. You, you're not confident when you're not batting well. And, and that might turn into you standing at slip thinking about, oh, I'm not going to nick off again when I get another go, am I? The, the challenge for England is that if they're not playing a lot of first-class cricket, they've got no reps in, in terms of slips catching. You take very few slips catches in white ball cricket. You know, no, no one really stands in the slips in white ball cricket at all. So the only time that you get to practice being in the slips cordon is during a first-class game. And if they don't play a lot of first-class cricket together, they're not going to get a chance to form that combination. And it's going to play on their mind. You've dropped the catch. It it does play on your mind as a cricketer. If you drop one in the slips, you're thinking about that for at least half a day. And if you're batting as frequently as England are, then it's going to be playing on your mind when you're batting as well. So it's a double-edged sword for England at the moment. The slips catching is being affected by their lack of batting depth and their lack of batting depth is partly you know, to blame because they're, they're dropping slips catches and the oppo- opposition's batting for longer periods of time. So, you know, there's really no good answer here. I mean, for me, Lawrence is on the block. He's not got a lot, lot of rope left, I don't think. If Pope comes back and is, is fit, I think he'll come in. Crawley, for me, other than his 2-6-7, has batted and, and averaged about 10 or 11 since yeah. then, and, he, and he's probably starting to run out of lo- rope. He looks the classiest of the three guys that are on the block, and I think he's got the brightest future. But he's he's got some some runs to make in the remainder of this series, or he's going to be in a bit of strife. I think Sibley is in a little, little bit of trouble, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has one more test. That, that Lord's test is going to be a big one for him, and if he doesn't make runs, I suspect that Hamid will come in and go, right, well, you've got three more three tests, and then potentially you're on the plane to Australia if you do well. And that, I think, is going to be in the minds of the English selectors for me. Yeah, I'd make that change now if it was me, but I, I, I don't think the selectors will. I think yep. they'll, they'll, they'll come out with the, the rhetoric again and, you know, same order, better batting, I think. One order too, one too many rather than one too few, as you yeah. say, right? One, one positive thing before we move on to India... For the England side, obviously you mentioned the bowling and they were they were really good in this this game. I thought Ollie Robinson stepped in again, another five or a first five for for him, but another strong performance. He feels like he's the kind of person that you almost have to pick in England because of just the way that he bowls. You know, we talked about him before as not not in the same breath, but McGrath like in the fact that he just hits his length, snibbles it around a little bit, and 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 sort of the perfect bowler for for English conditions. What what do you think that they're going to do with this bowling lineup, England? Are they? I mean, they'll probably just rotate, and we won't really get to see what you know what their actual top bowling lineup is. But it's sort of interesting in that it feels like with Broad and Anderson and, and kind of the makeup that it's not just a simple kind of rotate because they're all quite different bowlers. So you need to rotate in a particular way because otherwise yeah. you don't have the right balance to your bowling lineup. Well, look, uh, uh, the sheer fact that there's five test matches in six weeks, you know, is going to be a workload conversation. The the thing I would say, and we, we've banged on about pace for a long time, um, Joffre Archer being ruled out till the end of the year at least. I just wonder, and this is a little bit of a conspiracy theory, whether or not they've just come out with that as the timeline so that there isn't this clamour to get him on the plane. And um, he actually might be a, be okay by the ashes, um, but they don't want to sort of put the pressure on and, and all the media would be about whether he's fit to get on that plane. So they've just said, nah, he's not fit. Um, and let's see whether he uh, actually is. And, and that story sort of goes away. But pace has been that thing. Wood um, is probably the only one that's really got gas that's going to get on that plane, unless they go for a bolter like a Saqib Mahmood or someone like that. Ollie Stone injured again. Yeah. Um, and, and you're asking about Robinson. So the, the reason I'm making that point is um, 
Josh Hazelwood isn't express pace. Stuart Clark wasn't express pace. Glenn McGrath wasn't express pace. Um, Ryan Harris wasn't express pace. And there's components of the way that Ollie Robinson bowls that, for me, liken him to all of those bowlers. If you can be a very, very good line bowler in Australia with with, and hit the deck from six foot plus, um, he could be a handful um, on the pitches that, 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 that are there. Um, and, and I think to your point, um, I, I don't see England in a position where then they're, they're going to play Broad Anderson and Robinson too often in Australia because it would be three, you know, 80 to 85 mile an hour um, right arm seamers. They'll need something else, uh, whether that's spin or whether that's a speedster. But yeah, I, I think they've unearthed a little bit of a gem in, uh, in, in him and he seems a very confident lad as well, particularly given the fact that he obviously had a setback with the social media stuff Um after his test or during his test taboo as well. So um, has, has really come out of that, I think, with some credit in terms of the maturity that he's shown in this test match, five for uh, first five for in his second test match. Let's move on to, to India now then. Baldy, you know, do, do they come away with the points here? Are they, do they go into this next test thinking, you know, England's there for the taking? If you were scoring it as a boxing match, I think you give it 10-9 to India. Uh, there's no real massive punches thrown. I think the sides danced around each other for a bit, you know, through a f- couple of combinations. I mean, in- India in their first innings lost, well, they were none for 97 and then four for 112. So they lost four for 15. They lost two for none there, I think, when Rahul and, and Shadul Takur went out. So, you know, England were able to make, s- you know, small incisions into that Indian batting lineup, as Adam pointed out. Um, but I think India take definitely take the points 10-9 from that first game. KL Rahul was impressive for me back at the top of the order. Uh, he gave them a lot of starch in that innings. You know, uncharacteristic failures for both uh, Pajara, Kohli and Rahane in that middle order exposed them a little bit, as you said. Um, another interesting innings from Punt, and I'd like to unpack that with you because I know you're a big Punt fan. Uh, fan. But uh, Ravi Jadeja in at seven in place of Ashwin. So that was the real selection surprise to not have... Uh, Ashwin play, but are, are they are they looking at his batting there? Do you think? Or are they looking at taking the ball away from the England right-handers? I'm not quite sure where that selection came from, but from a batting point of view, valuable runs for for Jadeja in uh, the top of the order, and then the bowlers really did the job for uh, for India. It's it's hard to it, looking back at that test now. It's actually hard to argue with the leaving uh, Ravi Ashwin out as as much as I want to, and and I and I actually think it's kind of crazy to not to not pick, you know, arguably the best spinner in the world. I mean, I don't even know if that is arguably at the moment. I, I feel like he is the best test spinner in the world. Yeah, and, yes. and to to not pick him is, I don't know, I guess it's a sense of that they thought that Seam was going to do the job, and essentially it did. You know, you, Takua took some important wickets. He did a good job, and, you know, Jadeja did have to bowl at some point. He only and, bowled 16 overs in the test, though, so he didn't yeah, bowl a lot. Exactly, and, and you know, you, yes, he's a better batsman, then uh, Ravi Ashwin, even though Ashwin can hold the bat yeah. himself. So, yeah, Baldy's holding up six for, for six test hundreds. And, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I find it I find it disappointing from a fan because I just want to watch. I wanted to watch him too, yeah. Watch I, him bowl, I and, I, and I love I love all of that. But, yeah, it, it feels hard to, to you know, to, to criticise them too much. What, what I think is interesting is that Coley's come out and said afterwards that they think that they'll probably follow that same formula he he said it's the right template moving forward in t- in terms of their bowling attack. So they were talking about having just one spinner. So if that is the case, uh, I I don't know. Does that um, potentially that means that we just don't see Ashwin much in this series, which 
yeah, again, would be a real shame. Wow. From a from a visual perspective myself as a fan. I wonder whether part of this is um, a little bit of an insurance policy for Rishabh Pant at six. Um, I just wonder whether you switch Jadeja and Pant potentially, six and seven. Um, you look at Gilchrist coming in at seven and, and playing in a really, really aggressive manner. I wonder whether that's part of that um, conversation because he is a little bit, should we say, reckless. He's hyper-aggressive at the moment. Hyper-aggressive, yeah, would be the, yeah. Uh, betting betting by numbers is how I, I mentioned it to Baldy off air. It, it's it, let's have, let's do punt now. I mean, I I just feel like it's so strange because you know you compare him to Gilchrist there, and I think you know what Gilchrist did really well is that he had his shots right when when the ball was in his zone, he attacked them, and he was he was aggressive when he needed to be. You know, he 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 and he he took games away. Punt is a hundred percent capable of doing the same thing. What infuriates me as someone who l- wants him to succeed is that he's just running down the wicket, just for no for no apparent, for no no apparent reason. It just doesn't seem to make any sense to me because you look at that that twenty five that he scored. There were a couple of times he stayed in his crease, the ball got in his area, overpitched, and he just went whack four. He can do that. They're going to they're going to give him balls to hit because they know that he wants to attack and they want to nick him off or they. You know, they, they're going to attack the stumps. They're going to put him under pressure because they know that he is going to, to bite. Just stay in your crease. Like, you just don't need to charge down the wicket for no real reason. I, I just, it's going to frustrate me if he bats that way. And I think it's, it is it is overstepped the line of, of reckless. And, and I think it, it, does him, it does him a disservice because I think he's a much better cricketer than that and, and can be a game changer for them. He kept really well. He did. That was a great catch. Uh, they took off Sibley. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful catch. I, I wanted to come back, Baldy. You said an uncharacteristic failure for some of those middle order players. All three together. Yeah, because Rah- Rahane's been struggling for a little while. though, hasn't he since that hundred? Was it Melbourne against Australia? When in, he was he was captain. Yeah, wasn't he, he was he? captain. Took over. Uh, yeah. So I think that was I think that was Melbourne because he took over after the Adelaide Test and you know the, the 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 sky was falling a little bit. You know they bowled out for thirty six and Coley went home and it was all on Rahane and you know cometh the hour cometh the man. He was excellent in Australia, but yeah, has struggled a little bit since. I think the runs aren't far away for Jinky Rahane. He was a classy player and I I feel like he's going to make a hundred in this Test series. I don't think he's going to flop. You know nine or ten innings in a, on, on the bounce. And that's a positive in a way for, for England is that they did, you know, keep that middle order uh, relatively quiet. I don't think you read too much into it. You, you know, uh, Pajara and Coley both got pretty decent nuts from from Anderson. Uh, Rahane run out, looked a bit skittish, actually. He was real he, skittish, yeah. yeah. That's, that's probably the concerning piece is that he looked so uncomfortable that he tried to run himself out at least once, if not yeah. twice, before eventually getting himself out. So... The question is, is he going to cause further damage if he does that, you know, and runs out Coley? He could be in real trouble in the dressing room. And the the big winner for me, Kyle Rahul's taken that chance, hasn't he? Um, but probably when we did our preview of this series, I don't think we mentioned that he would be anywhere near a top order um, berth with a couple of other openers. Obviously, I think um, one going home injured, Shuman Gill, Gil. um, and, and, and Argawal. Argawal. So you know, taking his yeah, taking his opportunity, and I, I thought. Uh, it was ominous at one time for Rohit Sharma, Rahul batting really well. And when I was watching after England had been dismissed, I was pretty pissed off at that point, if I'm, I'm brutally honest. And then they came out and it looked like a different deck for the, for the uh, opening partnership, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, both of them credit 
credit in the bank, but um, Jadeja's run's really important. And Jasprit Bumrah as well. Um, oh, Because his test best before that was about 10 or 11, I think. So, um, yeah, good test match. He took a fiver yeah. and made, made a bunch of runs, made it look, made it look easy. The, the one thing I do want to touch on before you guys move on from, from the batting, and, and let's talk about Bumrah because I thought he bowled absolutely brilliantly in, the, in that test. Uh, you you sort of you guys have both just danced over the fact, but is, is Virat Kohli still good? Like uh, that that's a serious question because he's if you look back at his last fifteen innings, he's scored three fifties, no hundreds. He averages twenty three. This is going back to you know the the end of twenty nineteen. I I I feel like there you know if if you hear that there's a lot of talk about you know when's Kohli going to get is it the seventy first hundred of his career like. I feel like he actually is in a legitimate bit of a rut here, and he does have to start turning this around. Well, I'm going to let Baldy reply with the substance, but I'm just going to say I'd like you to ask him that question if we get <laughs> press credentials uh, the next time India are, are touring New Zealand. Because it might be I'd, the last time we get press credentials. I'd love to see you stick your hand up with that one. Vera, are you still good? Um, but Baldy, some substance on uh, on Lippy's question. Oh, I think unequivocally he's is probably still good. Yes, I think unequivocally he's also in a form slump um, yeah but how long you know how long can a form i'm not saying you know i'm not saying drop him i'm not i'm not trying to you know that was obviously a bit dramatic there but but i think it's a worry the fact that he's he's that's quite a long time now without you know a significant score and, and without a score that really suggests that he's back in the kind of touch that they need him to be you know we talked so much in this com- in this conversation about what a talisman joe root is for that england batting lineup at the moment we're not getting that from Coley, and we've seen the last you know eighteen months for for India all their series, the, the, their batting lineup is not looking as sort of dangerous as you would think when you look at the names on that team sheet. Yeah, look, I hate you because he's going to get a double hundred now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's been seventeen test innings since he got a hundred. You have to go back to the twenty second of November twenty nineteen was the last time that Virat Coley scored a hundred in test cricket. So yeah, look, it, it has been a while, but. You know, he has been dancing around it for a little while. He had, you know, 70s earlier in the year against England and Chennai. He had, you know, a 70 against Australia and Adelaide in the one test that he played. So it's not like he is bereft of runs. I think he's just hasn't got a big score in a while. And once the floodgates open, I feel like he's going to go, you know, 100, 150, 190, and all of a sudden he's going to rack up score after score after score, and we're going to go, oh, actually, Virat Kohli is actually quite good at cricket. <laughs> um, so, look, if, if Virat Kohli gets 100 in this series and then goes on and, you know, gets four or 500 runs in the series, well, thank you for that yep. um, because you've you've opened up the door here and just thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, and I think you'll find that there's not just pigeons in there, but there's eagles and hawks and all sorts <laughs> of things. So... I don't think there's going to be too many changes to that Indian batting lineup going into the Lords Test match, um, mainly because they did all right, and um, probably from a personnel perspective, there aren't massive options in that um, squad outside of what they've got. What do we think about the bowling? Who's going to miss out? Because Ishan Sharma's got to come back in for Lords, hasn't he? I don't know. I mean, that that's the tricky thing because they've they've all kind of done their job, and and I suppose that's been the 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 theme for the England the Indian bowling lineup. For for a long time, you know that that anyone who's come in, the Takors, the the Mohammed Siraj, whenever they play, they they give a really good account of themselves. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, we mentioned Ashwin before. I I would still try and find a spot for him somewhere in that lineup. I don't know where it is, and obviously you got to take the conditions into account. But yeah, I mean, they will be. I think they will be fizzing to see Boomer get so many wickets. Yeah, because he, you know we talked about how he 
we thought he actually bowled reasonably well in that World Test Championship final and didn't really get the wickets. But yeah, I you know he was tremendous in in this game, and I, I kind of wonder why he doesn't bowl more of those massive in swinging Yorkers to the top order. Like mm. he just they just destroys the lower order when he bowls it to them. But surely you know once every two or three overs, they're going to be pretty tricky for anyone to face some of those deliveries. So yeah, if I was him, I'd be I'd be whipping one of them out every now and again. And look, at the risk of being very English here, because we, we still have got one eye on the ashes, it's going to be remiss not to talk about what's going on um, there at the moment. Still some conjecture around whether or not um, players and partners are going to be able to get out to Australia. We obviously can't answer that from a, a governmental um, p- p- position, but there's a lot of logistics that go into an ashes tour. You know, England players are going to have to get travel. They're going to have to get visas. They're going to have to deal with logistics of hotels and quarantine planning and how they move from state to state um, with obviously Australia being a federalised um, system and, and each state can make their own rules around lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. Do we think the Ashes are at risk here? I think it's worth watching. If we don't get clarity soon, it will become a problem and it will become a problem of perception in the player's mind of am I going to travel or not? And then you start thinking about decision-making and that's when players will go, actually, you know what? It's the pinnacle of Test cricket, Australia v England, for an English player, I would imagine. But is it is it worth it to be without my family over a Christmas period, um, which will be the the real concern? Uh, winter back home in England, potentially, you know, who knows what the situation is going to be there? Um, certainly, Sydney haven't sorted themselves out yet from a COVID point of view. Uh, Melbourne and Brisbane are just starting to come back out the other side. You would think a Brisbane opened up uh, this morning, and I know people were out and about again in Brisbane, but. Look, the, the situation in Australia is not going to go away quickly, particularly in Sydney. Um, and I think it's worth keeping a very close eye on week to week as we go through this week in cricket through September, October, November in the lead up to the Ashes because, it, for me, there is a question mark now as to whether or not the tour goes ahead uh, without any players pulling out. You see it being played in the UAE? I don't. I, it will be played in Australia, if at all. Well, before we go, we've got the Test match coming up at Lord's Turnaround ta- Time just a, a couple of days. Um, predictions on on the game. We, you, we say it's ten nine to India if it was a boxing match. Um, who's going in with the big mo into this game, and who, who do we think is coming out with the victory at Lords? The weather forecast set fair. Fair, okay. Uh, that's that's probably encouraging. Look, I I, I I I still lean towards India. You know, I do think that they they played the majority of the better cricket during that that test, and and they kind of won those key moments apart from from roots innings. So I would still have them on top. I still think that they're going to have to root. Root again is going to have to carry uh, England and and put in another tremendous performance like that if if in, if they are going to have a shot. So yeah, I, I would be leaning towards India, but I, I do think there are a few worries in that Indian batting lineup. But as much as you guys think that Kohli's now going to score eight hundreds in a row, if both of the same sides play, I can't see England manufacturing a victory in that second test at Lords. I, I just don't see where they're going to get the runs from. They could bowl India out potentially twice uh, at Lords. I think the conditions will help Anderson and Broad, obviously. But if they don't take, make a change in their top six, particularly at the top of the order, without Hamid or someone like that coming in and scoring some runs, I just think India will be far too strong uh, and, the, and India will go up 1-0 after Lords. Binksy? Yeah, look, for me, same story, boys. I, I, I think India go in um, 
as favourites. I think they've got the more balanced bowling uh, attack with that spinning option, whether it is Jadeja or Ashwin. And I think from a batting perspective, clearly they've got the wood um, over um, over England at the moment. So yeah, I, I yeah back them to win at the home uh, home of cricket. Look, that just about wraps up this episode of the Top Order podcast. But we would urge you to go and take a look at the website, the Top Order Podcast. Dot com, particularly a new segment, the Top Order Podcast Cricketing Hall of Fame. Michael, been doing a hell of a lot of work um, on the list of the 100 greatest men's test cricketers. We've talked about Shakib Al-Hassan at number 103 because we did um, the guys just outside the list as well. We talked about Nathan Lyon at 102. Um, Mark War failed to get into the list at number 101. Um, and then we've gone through, um, unfortunately, David Warner squeezed in at number 100, Graham Gooch, 99, Ian Bishop at 98, David Gower at 97, Alex Stewart, 96. Um, and we've just released our new episode, and you'll see those guys um, go up onto that list as well um, tomorrow morning, which will be Tuesday um, in New Zealand. Um, stay tuned for the next episode after that as well, uh, which we'll be recording next week. But please do give us some comments, and um, particularly on the social media. If you, um, like me, think that Alex Stewart is a few places too high, uh, number 96, um, or you've got um, a real, real hankering to get um, Mark War into the top 100 and David Warner um, relegated um, to the B team. So yeah, please comment on our Facebook, Instagram or on the website uh, where you'll find uh, Bordy's email address so you can abuse him there as well. Um, but look, that's about it for this evening. This week in cricket, it's been great to talk um, England, India um, in the home summer in England, but we'll be back next week with lots more cricket. Um, thanks for listening. Good night. God bless. Stay tuned next week.